you, you say the, the number and then my clock disappears and I'm like, motherfucker. Hello, dear listeners. It's Erin, your master of mediocrity. And I'm Jessica, the lieutenant of literature. And as you might have guessed from our stinger, I'm here to drag the master of mediocrity through a cringy, soul-bearing episode of Book Club. <sighs> soul-bearing and cringy. So this one's a bit of an offshoot because I first read this book when I was in college. I was working at my current job, but only as a temp. And... A friend of mine at work had all of these really amazing like 70s science fiction and fantasy suggestions that she'd been reading like a book a day at least since she was in junior high. So she had all of these really great things that she got in the mail whenever the internet was not a thing. I know it's hard to understand. This person has been really influential on your reading. I think you brought her up for something else too. Yeah, she kind of broke me out of the YA box a little bit. Good for her. I, I was still reading, but I was in college, so reading for fun wasn't like as big of a deal uh, because of the guilt, the inherent guilt of there's a lot of actual reading I'm supposed to be doing for class, and I'm not. So I just kind of stopped reading for a couple of years while I avoided Processed. life and did yeah. griddlers and listened to music and watched k-dramas instead of my homework and uh, this was one of those things where she basically was like i have all of these books so here and she would just bring me like walmart's ex full of books like i want you to read this series here's 15 books get them done because i'm going to be asking you about them every day so it was a very intensive it was like almost like an intensive class but fun because she was like not grading you and she was just like i want to be enthusiastic the book that we're talking about today is Sheep Farmer's Daughter, which is the first book in the Deeds of Paxinarian series by Elizabeth Moon, who herself has a bit of a military background and I think is famous for The Speed of Dark, if I'm not mistaken, which is a book that she wrote to try to process. I think it was about her son with autism. But she, but she wrote a very, like, several different kinds of novels. And one of them happens to be this sort of military-based kind of look at almost like a D&D campaign, but from an earnest perspective from the young fighter, like a young human fighter. From the NPC like, guard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a little bit. And I forgot how much magic and stuff was in the periphery of this because it's so rooted in practical the, the first part of it yeah. so rooted in like the tactical and the you yeah. know like training and the just really establishing this world and then you slowly get opened up to oh there's elves <laughs> oh there's magic oh there's knights there's, there's dwarves. paladins there's, yeah. there's dwarves magic potion for magic <laughs> healing oh my god yeah and it's really expensive it's which makes sense yeah yeah it, feel, it feels really kind of gritty so anyway have mm. you ever heard of this book before i had not so this was my first exposure to the sheep farmer's daughter which I have on occasion misremembered as Sheep Herder Daughter, and that is not the name. (laughs) 
not the name. <laughs> so what did you think about the book? Well, disclosure, not one that I could finish. You and I had a conversation when I was pretty early on in the book about some uncomfortable moments in it for me. And I'm really glad in this overview of the writer, you mentioned that she had a military background because some of the things that I found most uncomfortable in the book were the things that were implied about the military culture within the units, with how they were treating Pax, because Pax was one of few women who were serving. Now, there were some other positives where people were very supportive of her and the other women in the group. There were no explicitly gendered attacks against her in regards to insults thrown. However, there were some really toxic people and for listeners who may feel uncomfortable, though we will not go into depth about this scene because I really don't want to, there was a scene of fade to black potential sexual assault where you were dealing with the after effects of her injuries, her being accused of lying about it, and inevitably the process of punishment and still kind of the effects of that. And that along with some of the military training culture and some of those situations were just, it was hard for me to kind of get through. Like it had that just pervasive realism to it that motivated me to put it down and not really pick it up or at least read it far more slowly. I did get about halfway through it. So I tried. I dang well tried. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I am surprised you didn't tell me to go fuck myself like after that chapter started <laughs> because yeah. I had completely like spaced it and had not reevaluated the list whenever we got closer to this book. So my no, apologies on that. That was yeah. completely my bad. I no should have given I don't a content avoid... warning on the list. <laughs> yeah. I don't avoid literature because it might relate to things that happened to me. It's just those things that happened to me influence whether or not I can continue to read it. I didn't know it going in, yeah, but there were some other parts about the character that I really did want to kind of see and explore. But after that scene, there were just some things that came up kind of culturally. There was a lot of focus. How do I want to phrase it? I feel like it's the Game of Thrones thing where you have all of these characters and then, you know, some leave, some die, some get introduced again very shortly. But instead of having that, Game of Thrones thing where you get to know the characters and fall for them. It's just this like parade of names and places and very minutiae culture stuff that I think can be really, really important for building a high fantasy world like this one. It's very Tolkien, I guess. But for me, I was like, I don't care. Like it was just yeah. like, look at all it was a little these, draggy for that. Yeah, like, look at all these different mercenary groups and how they get along. And like there were there was this really building of a culture kind of thing. And I thought that was kind of cool from the outside. I was, you know, I could see the world. And um so kudos to the author for building a visible world through all of that mesh. Like it it was really immersive. It was just a lot to absorb. But you've read it as part of a series, and so a lot yes. of those details probably build. It's my only defense in having forgotten about that pretty crucial scene at the beginning because it was sort of a make or break. Is she going to continue? Is she not going to continue? And listening to it again, because I didn't get there again until after you had gotten there because you're faster on the draw than I am. Um, I was like listening to it much more critically. Like I said, I was still in college and had some pretty cringy views about 
stuff <laughs> still i was yeah. at a growing point in my life but i was reading i was like reading for you know like potential out of date aspects and handling of you know sex and you know like to like kind of gauging sex positivity and you know like obviously how they handle you know blame in assault yeah. um, situations and it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be full remembered after the fact that that had happened and I was like oh shit like how terrible is this this is like an 80s woman you know I don't know what wave of femi- feminism she rides you know like I was yeah it's a big part of the story because it's very it's grungy formative. it's very detailed and real informative but also like is left it's left behind and doesn't inform much of the character's future, except for maybe to sort of like underline her Joan of Arc virginhood, you know, like her absolute yeah. disinterest in sex and sexuality. So that's the yeah. only reason I can think that she like so leaned into that so hard. Like they're okay. But, I think we should tell a little bit more about the plot before we really kind of branch into this conversation. Cause you and I, we love, yes. we love just talking like jumping into topics and I'm totally okay with that. So let me start. I, cause I, I, I want to kind of start yeah. to see, to give you an idea, like see if I grasp the concept for it. Right. Is um, okay. again, I only got halfway through and I don't know if we need to bust out every detail. Right. So in right, the, right. in the beginning of this book, we are in the period after Pax's story and Pax is short for like Pax and Anne and Anne are on, I don't know, very, very long name that they Paxinarian. Paxinarian, thank you. <laughs> that they affectionately shortened to P A K S Pax. Yes. So the beginning is looking at this small household where there is a grandfather, his sons, and his grandchildren. And on the wall there are two swords, both of which I guess have belonged to family members, one of which was Pax. And the grandchildren are all excited about this sword and its magic and its history and always want to hear the story of Pax who owned it. And the brothers, the grandfather, the grandmother never really talk about her because as the story starts where you see Pax's first glimpse, she's running away from home because she's about to be bartered off to like the pig farmer down the way a blacksmith, I don't remember. And she was like, I do not want this in my life. At first you think, oh, rebellious against marriage, right? And she's like, screw you. I'm going to go join the army and serve two years in a mercenary army and just be awesome and do that thing. And then dad's like, no, I already paid your dowry. And she's like, didn't want you to. Peace. She spends like two days marching off to catch up with the army enlists goes through this training where she is hazed and also creates really formative relationships she stands out only because of her tenacity and her willingness and so she does get better than a lot of her peers because she works harder than her peers probably some natural ability but the author doesn't really get into that right there's no like it's like her body was moving of its own accord it was like no i'm getting hit and i don't want to be hit i'm working harder yeah uh, so she does have no this... it was a lot of blood sweat and tears yeah a lot of blood sweat, <laughs> sweat and tears so she's she's definitely got a lot of failings because she does have this limited kind of social view maybe not the skill sets to deal with her very crass rude companions and a little bit naive right but she works really damn hard a lot she of it naive. Her place. 
a lot of midnight. It is here at the training that that event that we were talking about happens um, because one of her counterparts is a horrible human being. But because of her complacency, kindness, naivete, influence, the willingness to just participate so she can be there as part of it, she kind of forgives some of the other players. And then some people are forcefully removed because she does have some wonderful advocates in her group with her. Anyway, that's all I want to talk about for that incident. So after she completes training, she marches on to join the main army from the recruit joint where she finds herself lacking in training because all new recruits do. She again blood sweats and tears it through the months or so or weeks before they have to get into their first combat, at which point she gets significantly injured but apparently stands tall so strong that she gets promoted like right away because well she really proved herself in the battle yeah Um, yeah she she conducted herself well even though she really fucked up and that was i think a cool bit is that they were like she was like i forgot all sorts of shit and they were like yeah you did you'll remember next time won't you (laughs) yeah like you're not gonna let that happen again because you almost lost your foot and she's like "Mm, yeah yeah. Um, so at this point, we've really seen a lot of how she's just incredibly resilient, incredibly hardworking, and almost obsessive when it comes to military performance. Because she's like, I'm going to get better at my skills. I'm going to learn more about tactics. Like she, you know, that's just her thing. And people see that and recognize that. And I think really like her for that. And it's awesome. So she gets a lot of recognition, not at that like insane pace whereby halfway through the book, she's a general. No, she's still just a private halfway through the book. But around this part, they introduce, I think, who's going to be the overall baddie now being over, you know, 50% of the way through, you can tell me. But there's this like rogue mercenary thieving group that seems to be getting stronger and is attacking like the official mercenary armies but not in good ways like pax was on a wagon with other injured folks that got attacked by these thieves like at the time and so very weak target that they were coming out so it was very kind of like the backhanded guerrilla warfare stuff from this opposing group And it was about the time that she had already been serving for a year when the next recruits are being marched through, I guess, on their way to training. That was about the point that I stopped. So I would imagine that was after a couple attacks had happened. Other characters who you knew because of her fondness and her relationships to them had died. And again, that kind of rotating door (laughs) of like characters um, yeah was happening but how did the rest of the book yeah. go so from there uh, you find out that the rogue mercenary band is actually from a lord in the south some evil man had kind of claimed himself a little empire in the south his name was honeycat lord sidniava and he worships one of the bad gods and this is kind of where you see it kind of break open a little bit more and so he's attacked the duke and a couple of other mercenary groups wounded trains and then the duke takes his job where he's doing a siege so he's got like part of his group off to one side doing a siege on a or holding a fort and then he's off doing a siege on a different city because like that's what they do they're just like guns for hire you know they have their own kind of honor code where 
they know that they could be on the same side as one mercenary guild one year and then next year their contract has them against them so you're kind of indoctrinated into this like they have an honor code type thing and then you start seeing these other mercenary groups not upholding the honor code pox is in the position where she has a smaller force she's a part of a smaller force holding this fortress and Mm -hmm. the halverics come with overwhelming force and the duke's men are like yep nope force yours didn't fight didn't do nothing they're like yep yours we are honorably surrendering ourselves to be ransomed and the halverics are like yeah we're honorable folk we know we might have to do this with you someday so we're going to take your swords and we're going to keep note of all of your stuff and we're going to treat you honorably and then if you agree to follow our rules we'll you know like let you have your dagger back and let you wander around and you can do chores and stuff (laughs) and like you still eat well like you still sleep well like no problem while while they're there sort of under this arrangement the honey cat comes and attacks but he is just like killing everybody and being awful and he worships oh god what was it the torture the tormentor i think it's the tormentor so Mm -hmm. he is all about dismembering people and stuff like bad evil juju kind of gave me Dragonlance feels a little bit reading it now um i'm like oh yeah okay so this is sort of like a lot of people reference tolkien probably because of all of the names and stuff i guess i didn't realize that but it probably because of all of that detailed world building but it really has sort of a D feel to it because of 100%. you know paladins and and i'm like okay so yeah i get this that's the bad gods you know like and you got the sort of ambiguous mages and then you got you know cool i got this i know this language and so pax is one of three people who's out of bounds she's out in the brambles collecting berries and her and these three people fight their way through skulking around in the forest getting hurt getting robbed you know robbing other people trying to follow to figure out where lord siniava's group is going so that they can warn their duke where the troop is and let them know that the Halverics and both of their their combined forces have been attacked and and overwhelmed and they're like seven days just humping it basically she's half a day away from safety and bandits hop out and kill her other two companions and she's the only one that escapes and makes it and warns the duke and then they go and relieve the forces and the duke seeing the carnage and the Halveric having lost his son who was the captain of that siege swear vengeance on Siniava, and they all basically are like fuck it we're taking a week off we're taking a year off we're just going to get all of the combined companies of these honorable mercenary bands that kind of fight under the same rules and we're just gonna hop hop over and just track this motherfucker down and kill him and kind of along the way you see pox in those battles you see her kind of still weirdly being involved in like always seems to be at the wrong place at the wrong time but in the right way like comes out really lucky and very importantly while she was traveling with her three companions to go get the duke from the very beginning she's very insistent that she's not girdish she does not follow this one god who is the patron saint of he's not really god he's like the patron saint of fighters but one of her companions whenever the three of them are out gets an arrow and she is girdish so fox is like why can't gird heal you so she takes that person's metal and asks 
Gerd to healer, and then but they also put Poultice on, you know, so it's kind of unclear, but it's sort of implied that something happened and Pox did something to heal this girl. So when she died, she left her her medallion, which is unusual because this is a fighting guild, so usually like a fighting religion, usually that medallion goes back to their home church, basically, and they tell the deeds that that warrior did while they were like when they died. It keeps doing weird shit, like saving her when somebody was gonna shoot her with a crossbow. She keeps like making brushes with these people who worship these bad gods, and they keep like miraculously not getting to her. She suffers a major head wound real close to the final scene with Siniava, and doesn't remember like an entire siege, but somehow in the middle of it little pox who really is just overwhelmingly i want to do good i want to be an honorable warrior i want to fight the bad things she hops in front of a basically priest like an upper tier priest where in like people who cross blades with him who aren't protected by a good patron saint or god would die and she's not killed she's like she's got a serious head wound and she gets injured, but she doesn't die. And the paladin's like, what the fuck happened there? Like, all you got is this little girdish medallion <laughs> that doesn't have any juice. Like, what are, what's, what's up with you? You don't, Do you believe in Gerd? No? Okay, what's going on? And she's like, I don't know. They're like, do you want to believe in Gerd? She's like, no. And so, so she just keeps on keeping on. And because of her place in that siege with when Siniava first basically picked a fight with the Northern mercenaries, she is sent with the remaining, like, there was only like 20 something people left in her cohort. And uh, she's kind of sent to guard the back entrance because Siniava is a piece of shit who just runs out and leaves all of his troops to die whenever he gets cornered, which they do like four or five times in the course of this book. Um, so she is able to keep from falling asleep. She's like put under the magic and then it feels like she's getting po poked like with a thorn in her chest. And so she wakes up from the enchanted sleep, is like fo basically instinctually following sort of the tug of this medallion, wakes up a bunch of people, they catch people coming out. So he's a shapeshifter or can shapeshift using the evil god's powers. And she notices that there's an animal running off. And she's like, why would that animal be awake at the dark? So that she jumps on him, right? And like, just like full, like, basically full pig wrestling at farm shows and stuff. You know, like, she's like, <laughs> like I'm going to get the pig. And then the paladin comes out and was like, don't let go of him. And then they basically capture him. And the Duke and the Halveric are like, we're going to cut his nuts off. And Pox is like, that doesn't feel right, dude, my dude. That doesn't feel good. Like, I, I think we shouldn't do that. And, and the paladin's like, okay, so you feel very wronged. Would you listen to Pox, who was there with the original cohort's opinion on this? And the Duke was like, yeah. And he kind of looks at her, you know, <laughs> like, what was your, what's your deal? And Pox is like, um, can we just put him to death quickly? Because we aren't like him. And by lowering ourselves, we would become like him. And they were like, fine. <laughs> so then they cut off his head. And so, like, kind of ends, like, that's basically the final climax of that first book. Which does, in retrospect, kind of feel like three sort of acts, kind of. And you, you really are, you are over halfway through the book, whatever you really engage with sort of the main driver. But then I, of course, kept listening to the next book in the series. And I've noticed there's like three smaller arcs 
of her journey in that next book too, which I think is interesting that she kind of writes in like three, like first is the big training scene. And then there's the, she's getting her green, you know, like she's losing her greenhorns. And then there's the first big fight with the big evil baddie, you know, and in the middle, she's learning sort of harsh truths about mercenaryhood and like kind of starting to struggle with like, am I just a brawler or am I like fighting what needs to be fought? Like fighting the good fight, being a good guy, you know? So it's kind of interesting because I think after the second act, you don't have a lot of like gender discourse like you do in the first act of that first book. And you know, like in the third act, there's some more gender discourse because in the South, women don't fight like they do in the North. Because they say something like some 40% of her Lord's mercenary group are women. And then you go to the South and they're like, what are these whores doing holding these blades? <laughs> you know, like, so it's a completely different culture down there. Like there's some dwarvish mountains in between the two sort of regions of this world. But it's kind mm. of an interesting, kind of an interesting breakdown, I think, because like, I, once again, I don't think the gender discourse was very, was perfect. Um, and, no. you know, like, nowadays, you're kind of like, was that necessary for every fighter to go through something like that? No, I, I would think that yeah. it could be edited out and have and be completely like, still a good book and have the same sort of depth and emotion and all of that stuff in fact it is kind of non sequitur almost it's a completely different tone than the rest of the book are we talking about the the first act you have this yeah it's it's a it's like a non sequitur and then after that it's it's a completely different novel basically so it's a really weird way that this it feels aged it feels like really aged yeah yeah, like that scene wraps up in the first act. So there is the punishment that comes after, but it's mentioned. I remember up to the point I stopped reading, it was mentioned two other times. There was a time when they were still in the training that they were assisting somebody with their orchard and were harvesting apples. <laughs> and, apples. <laughs> uh, they were working diligently, but her commanding, not officer, they didn't really use that officer terminology, but the person in charge of their unit and the person who owned the glands were walking by and said something along the lines of if she was truly like this heroine she wouldn't let it stop her and then there was the second time that it was mentioned when the person died who was involved was killed and how she talked about feeling a sense of relief and remorse and then Mm -hmm. that kind Uh, of it wasn't really yeah, that mentioned was after it, that. kind of. Yeah. So what kind no, of... but there was one in the middle where she was actually given a hard time by the cohort that she joined up with as a recruit when she finally got to her first battle. Mm-hmm. And one of the people... They were trying to be... Basically... Yeah, okay, that, that would have been the third time. Yeah, they were um, being really uh, antagonistic to her because she made these accusations yeah, against like... somebody who's quote-unquote respectable. But then that person was like, right, yeah. So they consider thought she was an and she was warm and... to him. Yeah. yeah. And that was what made it really uncomfortable for me. And again, I don't want to talk about this scene. There are some other things about this book right. that I really want to talk about. But like what really made it uncomfortable was that it fed into the boys will be boys thing. And it really kind of definitely 
it was that one of those, I'm not going to say gray areas. It was one of those situations because this person, the accused did have a very positive history and relationship. And there's the suspicion that he was drugged at the time. But in reading it, and in my perspective, I was like, that's such a flimsy excuse. Just because you can't prove that this person wasn't intoxicated. Anyway, I, that's me getting too deep into it. But it, it was just one of those like right. weird. Like outside of that incident, like moving past it, other gender discourse in the book was weird in that first scene. Uh, not even related to the incident. Yeah. Like, I don't even remember a lot of the gender about, discourse. Well, mostly just like regarding sexual relations in the company. I think they were kind of going for a like Star Troopers, Starship Troopers vibe where like, like it wasn't a big deal, you know, for women to take showers with men or to change in the same room. It's like they weren't segregated, right? Like they just were part of the troop. And like sex was a thing. Lesbianism was a thing. People just sort of worked it out. Which I thought was, I thought that was really cool that it was pretty progressive because like, so at the time in that the book was written, if she had any military book background, it would have been the don't ask, don't tell, don't pursue kind of perspective. Oh. Where mm, yeah. you were not allowed to be gay and in the military. Involved at all? Yeah. But so there was that don't ask, don't tell thing. You you pretty much had to not get caught. And then the don't pursue part was also you don't trust them. So it was like, it was really difficult, I guess. And so maybe that, her way of having that in there was actually quite progressive. I thought it was actually really, really cool that the yeah. um, that there wasn't a lot of that underlying antagonism between the male and female members. And I actually thought it was really, really respectful. So this is what I wanted to talk about. Pax is totally like ace, yeah. right? She's like, I do yeah, not she is. have any attraction to anybody else and I want nothing physical to do with it and everything. And I love that everybody was like, and we respect that about you. Even her friend was like, really I would totally, yeah. Her friend was like, I would totally tumble in the hay with you, but I like you more than I want to do that with you. And you don't want to do that with me. Yeah. So I'm not going to. And there, so that those scenes and those conversations, I was like, this is freaking awesome. That was really, I thought, progressive to me. And so for every incident that made me uncomfortable based on my past history those conversations where they were like yeah no it's chill and the way they talked to each other it was like that was the reason I could keep going but because what honestly made me stop at one point I was like oh my god this is just too much world (laughs) like not enough narrative yeah (laughs) well it gets really spinny like it gets really spinny later I just think it's really weird because of how that first arc would lead you to believe that that's talked about all the time. And other than passing insults later, it's really dropped. Like it's really not even built in. She does have, she does have knights and paladin training and I haven't gotten there yet in book two, but like, so some of that might come back when she's in a more structured institutional setting Mm. um, with the Holy order, trying to get her advanced knight training. It's just very strange because I, I've listened to literally 20 hours of this of this series already. And, you know, you leave it behind at sort of hour four. 
<laughs> and then you're really in that then you're really in that deep world building like we're going to this fort and we're taking this thing and we're gonna sack it and that's how we make our money and then we're gonna go over here and then you're gonna have this weird ranger bit where they're trying to survive on their feet while like tracking these people when they're they're line soldiers they're not really trackers so they're just doing their best you know like fucking yeah. up along the way but like doing their best and then you have this like the good and evil narrative starts to come in and then she starts to get like opened up to this bigger like like what do I want my fighting to mean like I'm in love with the craft of fighting which is very obvious from the beginning because she is such like she is such a nerd Zealous. she's like I'm just gonna like, keep fighting until I'm good yeah yeah and it's just it's very strange the the structure of the story is very strange because it feels like you're reading three books in one every time you're reading it because you get but like it Jesus, never closes yeah, out so, so much, much that info. you can just drop it yeah but it's from a female paladin's perspective or like somebody who might eventually become a female paladin in this world where that is an acceptable thing but not so normal that she doesn't have to sort of address things sometimes yeah it's very strange it's very strange it's a very unique book and i haven't found a lot of books like this no i i think that's pretty accurate that it's it's really unique because it since it does present such an individualistic character who is both woman and seems to be outside of that in the way that she is written and carries herself. It just really reflects, I think, the unique experience of the author. And it, it makes yeah. me very, very curious into who she was kind of as a person and what she had experienced. Because she did not make some of those formative interactions like the basis of her, the character's identity, right? Pax's story, though the motivation was to avoid an unwanted marriage, she that was also left behind really quickly. I mean, it was brought up a lot because it's like, this is the jab that we're going to make about who you are and where you came from. Um, But, you know, it was very obvious that she was like, no, I'm a fighter. Like, I'm not still participating in this because I want to fight to avoid that. It's more like, no, I avoided that by choosing to do this because I was interested in it. And then you're like, oh, shit, this is the best thing in the world. So, you know, like, and then that the scene was also one of those where it wasn't a crutch later on. And I'm not speaking about that in a positive sense, but in one of those, like, cautionary, (laughs) was it worth even putting in senses? And what kind of other messages might have come from that? Yeah, because it does have a kind of a get over it thing. Like, if you, yeah, yeah, like like you said, the second time that they mention it, there's a couple of different times when they're like, you know, like basically morality is the ability to to weather bad things and still keep your course whenever really that's not. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that's bullshit. That's not actually a good message yeah. to give people. And she I think about the sentence when she hears that he dies and it's like a such a throwaway sentence where she just says like she felt relief and it was either remorse or guilt, but it, it was an addendum in the in a list of deaths, you know, that she felt that way. And it was definitely, it pained me because it was like, man, that that's it. That's your resolution that you've had to silently kind of mm-hmm. harbor these feelings of potential fear and resentment. Like it was one of the things that I did like about the narrative is that there was a lot of reading between the lines, right? Like this book wasn't explicitly like her heart rate increased, blah, da, 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 da. You know, it was with those little throwaways. It was with the um, mm-hmm. kind of after effects, just like one thought here, one word there that really 
had to do this between the lines kind of reading, or at least so I felt in my experience. So you actually learned like it really did impact her. You know, she was really worried and fearful about it because she'd always mentioned these things about being slightly uncomfortable around him or anything. But you also got the sense that she was Mm -hmm. being quiet and begrudging because other people would go to defend her and she'd be like, no don't do it when other people would try to harass her. So it was just really like, I thought kind of an interesting balance and it just made me kind of sad for her and a little angry that it couldn't be explicitly resolved. At least by the time I got in the book, there was no opportunity for her to say it was unfair even, you know, or that it impacted her. She didn't even get to say it like in the trials right like yeah she's a very passive figure the entire time that whole thing was going on and you know that's the part of this whole thing that's very strange for me because later she's portrayed as having a very quick temper you know not such that she acts rashly but that her blood gets up you know like when Mm -hmm. people sort of intone anything about her abilities as a fighter she's naive to the fact that she's not good with people She's not, she's really good with people because she's very trusting. She's very, I hate to say naive again. She's just very unpracticed in social gray areas. So like, as she interacts with people, she gets kind of taken in and led to do some bad things or given the opportunity to do some bad things, which I think is very interesting for her character, but I think is more informative than the way that that was portrayed in the training. And the only thing that I can think is that it was sort of the author's way to work through some shit on her own and kind of think a little bit of like what would have been a better situation for her in Mm -hmm. like the same kinds of institutions but it which is super dark and sad like it's just sad she she is a very dark like the speed of dark is another book that is like probably I don't know I don't know how to gauge her problematicness as an author (laughs) because you know it is so kind of bittersweet the way that she writes about that stuff and she has a whole book called the speed of dark which is sort of explicitly about the fact that they come up with a cure for autism and then like following a protagonist who's basically chosen not to take the cure and then chooses to take the cure to love this person that he's in love with and then having taken the cure becomes such a different person that he no longer is in love with the person he took the cure for it's very weird it's not like you can cure a person but it's kind of based in the premise of you can cure a person and it's just i don't know it's a very no, strange you know, thing and i'm not saying it that way i really want to read that book i think i would prefer that book to this one but like yeah, the I way you phrase it, that but i don't know how is good it's it is like well no 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 so what i what i hear with that is like you have this cure for something, but the implication that you could cure it means that they're not the person that they are, you know, like it, it, it very much is, mm-hmm. I think speaks to when people hate on the idea of curing something like that, like the idea that it needs to be cured. And I think it's more of a critique of that for her. Yeah. I mean, I'd have to read it myself, but the way you're presenting it is she's very much critiquing that, like, what would it be? What would it mean to have this? And what are the dangers of it? Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, does it even matter? You know, it was. It's definitely one of those like, don't you love the person you have in front of you? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I and I feel like that might be what she was going for, but I don't know if her execution was great. Just like I don't think her execution was great in this book. 
across the board. I couldn't give it a 10 out of 10, right? Like, it's really Mm -hmm. hard. It's a hard book, not just because of the fact that she has this weird non sequitur at the beginning, but also, like, because of the way that it's, like, sort of three acts, but slower, you know? But she does have a very nuanced writing, so, like, it can kind of pull you along. I I don't know. It's, I can't give her a perfect execution. It's very kind of niche. I want to say it's almost stylized in that sense, but, you know, that's totally fair. And to some degree, like, it could even be just that the language has changed so much in since this book was published that maybe a lot of the ideas that she wanted to share weren't around when she wrote it you know kind of like the tombs of Atuan. i wonder as an author if i don't i don't know her status i don't know if she's still an active author or even still alive but i wonder kind of like we we had that thought process with tombs of atuan where we were like what would it have been written like as a 21st century book i wonder about this book like what would it have been like as something written in the 2000s or the 2020s or you know like what would it be like now 20 years later you know (laughs) like or more it might be 40 years later Mm -hmm. let me look at that i'm very interested now to see when she wrote this book because i think that's gonna inform a lot of what we've been talking about that's fair she did serve in the marine corps that kind of that makes sense 1988 basically 30 plus years ago was Mm -hmm. when this was written and she is still around she's still alive it's one of it's one of the things where i made this list in like november of last year right and i was remembering Mm -hmm. this as this big like knight's tale story about a paladin and then you get down into the nitty-gritty of the book and it's not the happy ride that I remembered it being, Erin. <laughs> it's not this action-packed, like, never-stop sort of thing, you know, that I experienced whenever I was reading it. And, and the audiobook experience has been different for me as well because, like, I've spent 20-plus hours on this, whereas in my first read, I've maybe spent 5 to 10 on the whole series. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean... It's weird. It's weird going back and reevaluating things because it's like oh wow hey i know what i know why i got this out of this the first time but fuck did i miss a lot i missed a lot on my first reading you were a child or like college (sighs) i mean it's they often talk about with movies and books you get more the second third fourth time you go through it i can't blame you for not picking up on it like hell the people who can pick up on everything the first time like how do your brains work but like, you know, it's just a really, she has a really interesting perspective. And I think what's nice about this book, to speak positively of it, is because of her non-traditional background, being a computer specialist in the Marine Corps in the 60s and 70s. Like that denotes a really different kind of woman in person, because not every woman goes into the military. And certainly not Mm -hmm. into the Marine Corps, not into computer specialists. There's a lot of, like, anti-gender norms that is in those labels for her, right? Like, there's a lot of that if we want to talk about gender presentation and what that means. And I I think this book just speaks to that in, like, a really cool way. Like, knowing that about her background, it alleviates some of, I think, the tension when it comes to reading it at the same time like I, I I I don't know I don't know what I'm getting at besides like she's got such just a different view that it's really influencing her works and you know it's it's really complicated to view that 
because like it, it makes me want to reflect a little bit on how we've been trying to view this and interpret it. Like what kind of woman are we wanting to see? What kind of performance and advocacy and self-advocacy are we wanting to see for women characters? And because the author's viewpoint is so unique, am I creating a disingenuous expectation for her heroine who admittedly is a bit of a passive character? Am I creating weird expectations because of my own desires and wants for a Mm -hmm. feminist friendly character? And so it just, I mean, that makes me want to do my own reflection on that as well. And I hate it when you say things that make me think about the way I'm thinking about things. It's real. That's real rude of you, too. I'm so sorry. Because I'm like, because now I'm like, oh man, am I being a bitch? Because she is an ace character who really might just want to be past it, you know, like and just cope in the best way she can, and that's a valid way to 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 exist in the world like you don't have to be like i'm going to break down the patriarchy every time somebody does something that you know hurts me like you could just be like fuck that i'm gonna go fight battles i actually want to fight you know like damn it aaron why (laughs) you make me feel like i'm sorry i'm sorry old books Oh, because now I feel like an asshole because you're absolutely right. It's kind of like demanding a strong female character whenever really she is a strong individual, is very unique character. You you get a very she she's very distinct. Like you know she who is. Pax is. Mm-hmm. Like especially as you as you follow her in her journey, she has growth. <sighs> Fuck. Damn it, Aaron. <laughs> you're feel it all like fucking superior about it. Ugh. I'm not. It's I actually fine. don't know how to respond because I'm like, I, I, this is not what I intended. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I, I, I have, I have deep dived into my own reflection right now. No, <laughs> I'm gonna I, be thinking about shoot. this for a long time. No, it, I mean it, it. It is kind of like that's kind of why we are doing this book club, though, right? Like we're exploring our reading and we're wanting to grow and develop stuff, and we're asking these questions, and that's why we're bouncing off of each other too, in the sense of like, what are we getting from it? What were our viewpoints? And you know, I I think that's part of our growth as readers and consumers and kind of people who don't want to do harm in the world, like mm-hmm. what reactions are we having to this and what are the greater implications of that you know and I think for some people they don't do that and that's okay um but for you and I we're, we're reading these things very intentionally and with a pretty multifaceted perspective because there are things that we're reading that we're we can say I genuinely enjoyed this however it lacked xyz or I hated this but it had abc you know so it, it's just what we're practicing and that means we have to think about yeah. our thinking. Woof. Yeah. Well, you've schooled me. So I I just have to say, like, thank you for not throwing me into the abyss of, like, never to be spe- spoken to again. Because I really am trying to be better at um, not throwing people to the wolves with stuff like this. Um, as part of, like, this podcast has been, like, trying to be better at giving, like, good, accurate suggestions without kind of making people feel unsafe and I feel I feel like I failed on this one in a big way but you somehow made it like still a learning experience for me in a positive way so 
So I, I mean, yeah, it would be really unkind for me to have expected you to know that about me. Cause I don't think I had shared that with you before this incident. So that was just an unrealistic expectation for me to have had. And there have been many a story that had had a similar experience to mine that I had been able to get through unfazed. This one just had a weirder way of hitting closer to the mark. And that just has happened. That happens. And that's just, that's my burden, not your burden. And though what you are wanting to do is incredibly kind, because being aware of your recommendations and how they could impact others is a general kindness. And there is no way I was going to cut and run just because one piece of media to which you profusely apologized for the recommendation, you know, <laughs> came up and set me off. So like, you're good because you did, you well, did the kind things. Like, well, does that? I just think you're awesome. I think you're awesome I think because you're awesome. you are, you just teach me all the time whenever we're doing this podcast. And I find so much value in that, having good conversations with somebody who I respect. So thank you for continuing to engage in this cringy soul bearing thing that we're doing on a comics podcast as a non sequitur. We're like, hey, by the way, we're going to have a book club about old literature and- Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there. Let's do it. And you know- <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Maybe next season will be mine. And then, like, we'll just trade off. Yeah. With still bearing ex- exploration. I have an idea about that. I have an idea about that. I think I I am kind of of the opinion that we should do a Twitter poll to see what kind of theme the folks want for next year Ooh. for Book Club. Because I, like, I feel like I enjoy having a, a varied schedule. I think it is nice being able to switch gears every week. And, you know, if we continue to see value in this at the end of the year, who knows? It could yeah, be definitely. It could be whatever the people want. Like, what kind, what kind of things do you want to read, dear listener? What, what kind of stuff do you want to engage with online with a couple of lady types? Just thought. Food for that. Think know. about it. Hit us up later. Yeah. Ooh. End of episode question. Oh, yeah. Go for it. Yeah. What type of hero do you think you would be? So to give an example of answers, I think I would be the kind of support hero who would be all like, let me boost everybody's powers. Like I'm just here to kind of like Mm -hmm. be the motivational speaker, the one who is not really good at anything, but is trying hard to keep you alive. And so I always pop up at your elbow when you need me. (laughs) That would be, I think, the character I would need. I would be the hero I would be. Hmm. My first instinct is that I would be a logistics specialist of some sort. Like, okay, so here's the plan. Okay, so here's the plan. Okay, so here's the plan. Like, I got this idea. <laughs> Why don't we use those people? Like, you have this cool thing. You have that cool thing. Why don't you both do that cool thing? And I'm going to be in the van. You're Sokka. <laughs> I'll be in the you're... van in your ear. Yeah, I'm Sokka. I love it. I love it. In the In the van. <laughs> so for anybody else who knows what kind of hero they would be, hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, or our Fireside contact page. Yeah, follow us on Twitter as well, because, you know, your master of mediocrity does a wagon job. And, you know, thanks for listening. If you have something to say about today's book, or if you decided to pick the book up later and want to comment two months from now, 
freaking I'd love it. The whole reason I conned Aaron into doing this is because I wanted to talk about books that nobody else had read with me so I could talk about them. So there you go. Well, there we go. But thank you for joining us today, everybody. Bye. Bye. I got a piece so bad. <laughs> My gift uh, to you is going to be me being the non-baby person in your life who lives far enough away that if you came to visit, you could pawn your kid off on Corey.